Welcome to the Global Seventh-day Adventist Church podcast. Please like and subscribe. Also visit us on social media, um, on Facebook, that's Global Seventh-day Adventist Church, or um, we also have Instagram, Goebbels Youth. Please check us out there. Also um, on our website, GoebbelsSDAChurch.org. Um, please uh, join and join us Sabbath mornings at uh, 9.30 a.m. for Sabbath school and 10 a.m. for church. Good morning and happy Sabbath. Now, I was at Allegan preaching before I came over here. So, and because I was at Allegan, I got held up a little bit, just getting to know everybody because I like to get to know people. I like to talk to people. I like people. So that means I didn't really get a chance to meet really hardly any of you before I came and I had to walk in the door. And that's my fault, but is it okay if I tell you guys a joke? It'll make it easier for me to preach to you. I need to know you guys have a sense of humor before I preach. Is that okay? All right, good deal. So there was a man sitting under a tree. He was reading the Bible, and that was sort of his habit. And his little girl came up to him one day and said, Daddy, Daddy, where did I come from? And so he invited her to sit down, and he opened up Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 and read to her the beautiful story of creation and finished by saying, this is where we come from. And she ran off seemingly happy with the answer he provided. And the next day he was under his tree sitting, reading the Bible again. And the little girl ran up to him and there were tears in her eyes. She said, Daddy, Daddy, why did you lie to me? I asked Mama where I came from and she said that we evolved from apes. He said, don't worry, honey. Your mother was only talking about her side of the family. All right, now that I know you guys have a sense of humor, I think we can do this. My name is Chris Langston. I am a seminary student at Andrews University. Before going there, I was pastoring a three-church district in Kentucky, part of the Kentucky-Tennessee Conference. I got my undergraduate in theology at Southern Adventist University, where I met my beautiful wife, Izzy, who's sitting over there with our two-year-old son, Gary. And I have been attending the Niles Westside Seventh-day Adventist Church for several months now. We live in South Bend, Indiana, and I've gotten to know Pastor Alex Rybacek quite a bit and consider him a friend. He's a great guy, and he told me to tell all of you that he loves you, he misses you, and he says hello. But he's definitely still thinking of you guys because he comes up to myself and the other seminarians, and he says, hey, would you guys be willing to go preach at Allegan and the Goebbels Church? And when he came up to me and asked, I said, yes, that'd be an awesome opportunity I'm really happy to be here. Thank you all for having me. Today, I'm going to get the opportunity to share with you all my testimony. I think you guys will enjoy it. It is a, in my opinion, great story. I love sharing it with people. It's a lot of fun. I think we'll have a good time. But before we do all of that, before we get started and get into our discussion, let's have a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for all these wonderful people who are here today and for the blessing it is to be able to explore your word and to hear about how you continue to move in the world today. We have been going through the Sabbath school lesson and we have heard the prayer requests this morning and Lord, you're not ignorant to the suffering that is going on, the turmoil and the struggles that people are having with health, with finances and their relationships. 
And today is an opportunity to be reminded that in spite of these things, that we can have joy and that we can have hope because you, Jesus Christ, have died and risen. You have forgiven us our sins. We have called upon your name and accepting you as Christ, as Lord, and because of that, we have assurance of salvation. So we should be the happiest people on earth. And people may look at us and wonder how in the world, what in the world makes you so happy? What right have you to be happy? And we are so thankful for that question, Lord, because it opens an opportunity to share you. I pray that as I speak today, that you will speak through me, that it will not be me that is seen, but that it will be you that is glorified. I thank you, Lord, for what you have done for me, for what you have done for everyone here. Bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So to start us off today, I've got a little video that I want to show you all. It's going to run for about just a minute, and I think it will be a real blessing and help really encapsulate everything that we're going to talk about today. the truth. I say unto you that this poor widow had cast in more than they all. For all these have of their abundance cast in unto the offerings of God, but she of her penury has cast in all the living that she had. There are some stories in scripture that transcend mere attendance at church to such a degree that just about everyone, regardless of how they were raised, what religion they are in, knows them. A good example might be the story of Jonah or Noah or Adam and Eve. And I would also like to think that the story of the woman and her two mites, her last two coins, also falls into that category. It's a story that really speaks to me on a personal level because it is so similar in a lot of ways to what I'm going to talk about today, sharing with you my experience. You know, if you read the story, it's fascinating because there is so little that we actually know. We have no idea who this woman is. We have no idea what her name is. She's never mentioned anywhere else. But we can be assured of one thing in reading that story that she was blessed that day, that Jesus Christ blessed her. I mean, really think about what it was that she did. Her last two coins. Literally, that was all. She could not afford at that point to buy food, to pay taxes, which in the Roman period meant that she could be imprisoned or sold into slavery. She could not afford to pay what passed for rent in her time. That was it. Everything she had. Commentators have come up with various theories to try and explain why she did this, why she was willing to do that. Some say that it was her piety, her reverence for the temple service 
that led her to cast in her last two coins because she believed that that service was more important than any personal concerns. Still others have hypothesized that perhaps it was societal pressure and expectation that compelled her to give her last two mites. Personally, I like to think that she did it because she had hit rock bottom and that it was all she had left and that she was desperate for God to open a door, to do something to help her situation. Our scripture reading for today, it should be on the screen behind me, you may remember, is Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. I'm going to read it again for us. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Now, some of you may this guy really going to come here from South Bend, Indiana, a sermon about tithing in this economy? Well, I'm a full-time student. I don't like going to the gas station any more than you guys do. And I have to tithing is actually not the central focus of what we're going to be talking about today. It just happens to be integral to what I am going to share with you, which will become clear as we continue onward in our discussion together. But there's two things that I want us to take away from this verse. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And then what? What does it say? Try me now in this. Okay, if you were to put that into modern English, how might you word this verse? How might you change the word try? What would be a nice modern day equivalent? Test, challenge, how about, uh, how about dare? Is that okay? God's saying, I dare you to pay tithe and see that I won't bless you. Now, I grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist church. I've been Christian, Seventh-day Adventist all my life. Perhaps some of you have heard something about tithing and that if you give tithe, what will come back to you? Tenfold, more, okay, more what? Blessings, okay, that's pretty good. Usually what I hear and what I heard when I was growing up is that blessing specifically was money. If I give tithe, my financial concerns will be taken care of. But it's interesting when you read the verse is it says you will be blessed, but not what the blessing will be. So keep that in the back of your mind as we explore today's topic. There's something I want to share with you. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Can we agree with that? Okay, we can agree with that. We're on the same page. Now that consistency, when we talk about God, it has to do with his character, doesn't it? His character is the same yesterday today, and tomorrow. God is love, is what we always say. But his methods are far, 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 far from predictable. That's the topic of our discussion today, the unpredictable methods of God. There's a quote I want to read you guys by a woman named Enuma Okoro. She was a Nigerian immigrant. She came to the United States. She's a writer-editor, and she put these words that I think are really profound, that I really like. It says, openness to God 
demands our growing acceptance that we cannot create blueprints for our own lives. Though God's character is unchanging, the ways of God are unpredictable, and there is a difference between arbitrariness and unpredictability. God is far, far, far from predictable. Today, I'm going to share with you how the unpredictable methods of God worked in my life to bless me in a way I could not have imagined, in a way that, frankly and honestly, I didn't even want. Now, as I said, I grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist denomination. I grew up Christian. I loved the Lord. I loved Jesus Christ. You know, I grew up with all the same stories that many of you did. And I, I enjoyed my time. But I have to tell you, as I grew older and older and older and older, the church was really more my parents' church than it was mine. Now, I have to say that I had positive experiences in the denomination. I was never burned by it. I went to junior academy. And I went to academy. Sometimes I went to public school based on my behavior, but I graduated from academy, so I finished strong. But you know, when you're five years old, seven years old, nine, 12, 14, 17, onward and upward, sermons, prophecy, things like the 2300 days, close of probation, it just kind of went in one ear and out the other. It wasn't something I really identify with all that much. Church was not something that was really my own. It was more out of habit. Now, like I said, I love the Lord. I never became an atheist or anything like that. I never stopped believing. I just wasn't really interested, as I became a young adult, in being a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. And that exacerbated as I got into my late teens and early 20s. I wanted to go out. I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to have a good time, quote unquote. And the relationship I wanted from God was a cordial, almost acquaintanceship. I wanted God to bless me when I asked for it and then to politely go away. And I would let him know when I needed him again. I wanted the distance between myself and God. Now, as I begin to incorporate that more and more and more into my lifestyle, I realized that I was not doing things that were conducive to being a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. Now, as I said, I was never burned by the denomination. I never got this fellowship or anything like that. But I decided to kind of just go my own way, and really I stopped attending. Well, I had to decide what I wanted to do with my life after I graduated from academy. And frankly, and honestly, going to college or university, not knowing what I wanted to do and racking up a whole bunch of debt didn't really appeal to me. So I decided I'm going to go ahead and join the U.S. military. So I signed up with the Army with a four-year contract, active duty. And I shipped off the basic training, and I really, really ensconced myself into the military lifestyle. Is anyone here former military? Okay, so military culture, lifestyle is kind of a work hard, play hard mentality. 
You know, we would go out and have to crawl through the mud and get rained on all night long, eat terrible food and all these other things. But when we were off duty, that was the time to go and just let out all of that frustration and just have a quote unquote good time. And I really got into that so much so that as soon as I got money in my pocket, it was out of my pocket. I was spending money left and right, all over the place. And I was able to sustain that while I was in the military. However, one year, two year, three year, getting in my fourth year rolls around, I am starting to realize that I don't want to keep crawling through the mud and getting rained on all night for the rest of my life. That I would like to do different. Have you ever eaten an MRE before? They taste terrible. I didn't want them anymore. I wanted to do something different. However, I had made horrible financial decisions. Terrible ones. It's never wise to blow your paycheck immediately. And it's not wise to, while you're doing that, to get a new car. It's also not wise to do that and also get a new cell phone and a new computer and anything else you want. Money was burning a hole in my pocket, as they like to say. So even though I wanted to get out and do something different, I wasn't sure if I could. Because not only did I not have enough money coming in to meet my current expenses and lifestyle, I was in debt. I had no idea what to do, but I had grown up Seventh-day Adventist, and I had always heard, if you pay tithe, you get money. So that started coming into my mind. Maybe I should test God. He dares me to do it. Why not? Maybe I'll give it a try. And I prayed, and I said, you know, Lord, what should I do? Should I do this? And it kept coming back into my mind. Test me in this. Pay tithe and see that I will not bless you. I said, okay, maybe I'll give this a shot. Maybe I'll try it out. Now, I was really worried about this. because, Like I said, I had no money. The moment it came in, it was going to debts and everything else. If I give tithe, I will really have nothing. But I figured, what have I got to lose at this point? Now, I did not want to go back to a church. I had no interest in being a church member at that point. I still wanted my distant, cordial relationship with God. This was part of that, the idea of God, okay, I need some help, bless me, and then you can go away once we're done. So I thought to myself, how can I do this? Because I know what Seventh-day Adventists are like. If I go into a Seventh-day Adventist church as a young 20-something-year-old man, they will immediately try to rope me in as soon as they can to make me a member. And I couldn't bring myself to go to a different denomination. Not that there's anything wrong with the other denominations. It was just too foreign. You know, I had kept the Sabbath all my life. I didn't really understand how they did things. I didn't understand the liturgies. You know, going to church on Sunday, it was just too awkward for me. I, I couldn't bring myself to do it. So I thought, okay, how can I, how can I trick God? How can I have my cake and eat it too? And I had the perfect plan because there was a Spanish Seventh-day Adventist church. 
in the town I was living in, Fayetteville, North Carolina, and I don't speak any Spanish. I won't know anything that's going on. And here's what I thought. I thought, okay, I'll be the perfect visitor. I will show up, not say a word. I will hand them money and immediately leave and not cause any waves. It's like, this is a win-win situation for everybody. So I got a paycheck. I took my 10% out. I wrote a, a check for it. I came to this little Spanish Seventh-day Adventist church. I walked in, went into the sanctuary, and the very first person I saw was this woman towards the back. And I said, here you go. And she kind of looked at me weird. I don't blame her. I was just in street clothes handing her a check. And she was like, what is this? I was like, this is my tithe. Will you take this? Can I give this to you? And she said, yeah, sure, I'll take it. And she took the tithe check. And I said, okay, thanks, bye. And I walked out the door. Two weeks later, I got paid. I did the exact same thing. I walked in, found the exact same person, handed her my tithe check, said, thank you, bye. Out the door. Six weeks I did this. Eight weeks I did this. A whole month went by I did this. And guess what? It worked. Money started coming in from all over the place. I was like, oh, this is great. This feels like gambling. You've probably never heard a pastor describe tithing as like gambling before. <laughs> I'm going to double down on this. It's really weird, I'll tell you. It is really, really weird when someone gives you a call that you haven't talked to or seen in years and says, hey, uh, do you remember how I owed you money? Uh, yeah, I'd like to send it to you. I didn't remember that they owed me money, and I told them as much. I said, I don't remember this. Are you sure you want to do this? I said, yeah, I'll send you the money. Said, okay, fine. Cool. I need funds. Stuff like that started happening all the time. And then my parents called me, and I had not told them anything about my financial situation. You know, I was out of the house. I was on my own, big army guy. I was embarrassed about it. I have tremendous respect for my parents. I didn't tell them the troubles I was having. And they gave me a call and said, son, something has been placed upon our heart. We're going to send you some money. And I said, all right, good deal. All right. This sounds good. I was like, this is working. All right, I can do this. And my budget started to slowly balance. And every single thing that would come in, like I said, I started doubling down on it. I was like, okay, I'll take 10% from this. I'll take 10% from this. It just came in. And I'll just give more tithe and more money will keep rolling in. I should do this forever. I'll be wealthy in no time. Well, my plan seemed to be working. But unbeknownst to me, that tiny little Seventh-day Adventist church that started to talk together about the weird guy who came in and kept giving them money. And they came up with a plan. And I remember it like it was yesterday. And I have to tell you kind of the layout of the church before I describe this. So it was almost, it kind of looked almost like a big uh, double wide trailer. And you came in the front door and there was a ramp going up to the sanctuary, and on the left was a door that was actually the entrance, and across from that, there were bathrooms and sort of a fellowship dining area. Well, I walked in, I went up the ramp, took a left, walked into the sanctuary, closed the door behind me, found the person I always give money to, and started to hand her my check, and she had this big grin on her face. That's okay, that's, you're having a great day, me too. Here you go, bye, she said bye. And I walked out the door, closed it behind me. I turned to go down the ramp. 
and I saw something I never thought I would ever see in a Seventh-day Adventist church. There was a six-foot-four Puerto Rican fellow who was standing like this in between me and the exit. And it was the only exit out of that place. They had nominated him to confront me, and this was the way he chose to do it. And I kind of just froze. Because I had grown up in the church, but I'd never seen that before. And I was scared for myself. And we just sort of looked at each other for a while, him continuing to stand like this the whole time. And he said, where are you going? I said, I'm going home. He said, well, why don't you stay for church? And I'm trying to kind of politely go around him, and he's meeting my movements every time, you know, sort of walking like a crab. I, I'm saying, thinking to myself at this point, I will say anything just to get out of here. So he repeats himself. He says, why don't you stay for church? We'd like you to stay this Sabbath or even have a potluck afterwards. And I said, tell you what, if you let me go, I promise I will come back next Sabbath. And he didn't budge. He said, well, why not this Sabbath? And I said, okay, listen up. I'm in street clothes right now, and I remember exactly what I was wearing. I was in cargo shorts, I was in sneakers, and I had a bright red t-shirt with a lightning bolt on it because I like the flash. And I said, let me come back next week. I don't have any suits, but I've got like a button-up shirt. I'll wear something nicer. Because everyone who went to that church, they usually dressed up really nicely, and I didn't want to stick out any more than I already did. He said do you promise you'll come back next Sabbath? I said, yes, I promise. He said, okay, you can go. I walked out the door. I went into my car. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you said something you wish you hadn't said, but that was one of those moments for me. I put my head on the steering wheel and I said, why, oh, why did I promise that? This is not what I am here for. But I gave my word. I didn't want to lie. So I said, okay, I'll be back. And I was starting to feel sorry for myself, but then I remembered something. See, I'd been smart. I had pre-planned for this. It was a Spanish Seventh-day Adventist church. In what language do I not speak? That's right. I don't speak any Spanish. I was like, okay, this is great. This is why I chose this place. I will come in. I won't know anything that is going on because they did everything in Spanish. They did the music in Spanish. They did the prayers in Spanish. They did the sermon in Spanish. I'll come in, I'll sit politely through it, not know what in the world is being said, and afterwards I'll say, you know, this seems nice, but I don't know what's going on, not really for me. But I'll keep giving you my tithe. I figured that'll, that'll work perfectly. Well, they had accounted for that. And when I came the next Sabbath, there was the individual who had blocked me in the hallway, who I'm still friends with to this day, he actually came to my wedding, and he was holding headset. And he said, here you go. Someone will translate for you in the back. Thank you. I walked in. I went all the way to the back of the sanctuary. I did one of these. All right, here we go. I put on the headset. And I have to turn it on because they can see in the back whether it's on or off. I don't want to be rude. And lo and behold, they had someone back there who was bilingual who could really translate. They could have worked for the UN. They knew what they were doing. And this next part, you know, I'm not sure about. 
It could have been the church. It could have been the Holy Spirit. It could have been a combination. But the sermon I heard that day was absolutely everything I needed to hear. You see, as I said from the beginning, I did love the Lord. I didn't want the Christian lifestyle. I didn't want the responsibility. I didn't want to attend church. But I did love God. And that sermon reminded me that he loved me too. And that he loved me more than I could ever imagine. And how do you say no to someone who loves you that much? There was the part of me that wanted to stay away, that wanted to do my own thing, that wanted to live my own life. But there was still another part of me that didn't, if that makes any sense. And slowly, over the course of weeks and months, that Seventh-day Adventist church there, speaking Spanish, having me wear headphones every single Sabbath, became my family. And they witnessed the love of Christ to me in a way that, honestly, I had never really experienced before. And they really took me in made me a part of their lives. And I still consider them friend and family to this day. I still consider them my home church. I was actually re-baptized in that church a few months later, rededicated my life to Christ. Had no idea what the pastor was saying the entire time. But I understood the important parts. I was accepting Jesus Christ as my savior. I was dedicating myself to him and that this was a public declaration as such. And my life began to change in ways that I didn't think were really possible. I could take joy in things that I didn't think I could ever take joy in again. I was happier than I had ever been. It began to dawn on me, and it took, it took a while. It was years after I had made the decision to come back to Christ. It was years after I'd even started ministry that I we began to realize that the blessings that I had received had not been the financial, had not been the money. It was nice, but the real blessing was Christ's presence in the witness of those Christian brothers and sisters who made me a part of their family and a part of their world. Well, as things were changing, and as I experienced the joy and the happiness that came with that change, I did something. And I got to be careful about how I word this. I would recommend it to every single Christian, but it should scare you to death. I said a prayer to God, saying to him, Lord, you have done so much for me. What can I do for you and your church? And God said, oh, you've messed up now. It was like it was clear as day. I, I can still remember the moment. I can remember the prayer itself. God was calling me to ministry. No. 
Nope. No, 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 no. No way. No how. Not in a million years. I am not the guy. That is the last thing I ever wanted to do. I thought I'm as far away from what a Seventh-day Adventist pastor should be as it is humanly possible to be. I have met guys who said that from the time they could crawl, they knew they were going to be a pastor. I was not that guy. I know what I'm like. And I was mad at God. And I said, Lord, you know what I'm like too. In fact, you know me better than I know myself. You know what my personality is like. How I'm kind of a take it or leave it kind of guy. How I'm authentic and I try to present myself as I am. And if people don't like me, we don't have to be friends. That's not conducive for pastoral ministry. I said, do not. This is a mistake. I'm confused. I don't understand what you're putting on my heart right now. This is not a good idea. And the Lord said, no, I know what I'm doing. Trust me. Now, obviously, this wasn't an actual back and forth conversation. I didn't hear God's voice. If I were to try and best explain what it was that this meant to me, I would say this. And perhaps some of you can can have experiences yourselves. I knew that if I didn't say yes, I would regret it the rest of my life. But I thought, oh, okay, I'm a smart guy. I like to try and find loopholes and things. I like to try and get out of situations. I got an idea. I got a way to get out of this. Because I have tremendous love and respect for my parents. And they know what I'm like. I will call them, tell them I'm thinking of going in the ministry, and they'll talk me out of it. So I called up my folks and I said, Mom and Dad, my time in the military is drawing to a close. I'm thinking of going into pastoral ministry. What are your thoughts on this? What do you think? And my father said, Son, I don't think there are Christian parents in the world who would be disappointed to hear their child say that. Dad, that's it. I'm out of excuses. So I said, All right. If you know what you're doing, I'll give it a shot. I ETS, I used my post 9-11 GI Bill. I went to community college, got my associates, then transferred to Southern Adventist University to study theology and get an undergrad. And amazingly, I actually enjoyed it. I thought to myself, oh, I am not going to like this. This is going to be nothing but reading and writing constantly, taking Greek and Hebrew. It's going to be torture. But I enjoyed it. I loved it. I had a great time. I met wonderful people. I met my wife there. We have a beautiful baby boy together now. And God continued to bless me, to work with me. I graduated and went to work pastoring three church district. And now a few years later, God has brought me to seminary. And this particular day, all the way here, the Goebbels Seventh-day Adventist Church, to where I can share with you all this story. The unpredictable methods of God. Who would have thought? Who in the world would have thought that a guy who went into paying tithe with all the wrong motivations in mind, for all the wrong reasons, would be blessed by God and eventually find their way into ministry? It's amazing. God has a million and one ways to reach us. You know, sometimes we're tempted to think that when we do something like paying tithe 
or praying or taking part in church or whatever the case may be, hoping to draw closer to God. Sometimes we're tempted to think, if my heart's not in the right place, if I don't have the right kind of motivations, if I'm not doing this for the right reasons, God won't bless me. And you know what? That's actually not true. God will bless you. The only thing is he might not bless you in the way that you want. In my case, he asked me to do the last thing I wanted to do. But the greatest lesson I learned from this whole experience, coming back to God and coming into ministry, was that if I can call myself a Christian with the wagon of manure I drag behind me everywhere I go, and all of you can call yourself Christian as well, and take joy in the assurance of salvation we have in Christ our Savior who died for us. It says in the book of Jeremiah, Chapter 17, verses 7 through 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. You know, we've... As I mentioned before, I've been going through the Sabbath school lesson or going through the crucibles of life. No one is ignorant to the world situation and the struggles people are going through, financial, health, relational, the turmoils going on around the planet, the wars. And yet we find in these verses that though things may not always be the way we want them to be, that we can still have joy and we can still have hope in our Savior. And you don't have to take my word for it. Jesus Christ himself said these words in Luke chapter 6, verses 20 through 23. That's all right. Luke chapter 6, verses 20 through 23. Then he lifted up his eyes towards his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great. Others did to the prophets. That message absolutely shook the Hebrew world of Christ's day. Because the Hebrews thought about God in the same way that I did. If I'm close to God, He'll give me things. He'll make me healthy. He'll make me wealthy. He'll make me successful. But Christ said in these words, Blessed are you poor but that doesn't mean you'll be rich. Blessed are you who hunger now. That doesn't mean your belly will be filled today. Blessed are you who weep now. That doesn't mean you'll be happy today. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and revile you, and cast out your name for the Son of Man's sake. That doesn't mean that everything's going to be all right. 
but in spite of the struggles that we all face, that we will all go through, our hope and our joy, our smiles are in the knowledge that our life is assured in the world to come. In eternity with Jesus Christ, where the pain and the suffering and the death and everything else associated with the sinful world will be nothing but a memory. Because of that, we should be the happiest people in the world. And people should want to know why in the world we're so happy with everything going on. And that's our chance to tell them about Jesus Christ who died for them. The greatest blessing that Christ gave us was assurance of salvation thanks to what he did on the cross at Calvary. Going in the ministry, what I have endeavored to share with people, what I have made central to everything I do, what is my number one priority, it's not getting more tithe than the church to the left and the right. It's not having more baptism than other pastors. It's not having more church attendance. It's letting those who come to church know that Jesus loves you, that he died for you, that he's forgiven you, and that he's saved you. This is what it means to be a Christian. Every once in a while, we look at someone, myself or others, or even your own self, and you wonder how in the world can I call myself a Christian? Or how in the world can that person call themselves a Christian with everything that they're doing and saying when the question we should be asking is what would they be like if they were not a Christian? Because the Christian journey is just that. And just like God did with me, he walks alongside you each step of the way. He's there for you. He loves you. He'll change your life. And he will bless you. Can't tell you how he'll do it, but he will do it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each and every person here. I thank you for the wonderful opportunity to be able to share how awesome you are. Words cannot describe your love, your mercy, and your compassion for us sinful humans. Lord, we, we thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for the beautiful day we have today, for the opportunity to come together, to meet, to talk, to take joy in who you are, to open up the pages of Scripture. And as we leave here today, help us to take that joy with us into everything that we do, not just on Sabbath, but on every day of the week. Help us to grow closer to you, and in so doing, understand ourselves in a better way so that we might strive to be the best we can for you and for others. Help us to be better husbands and wives, better parents and grandparents, better children's uncles, aunts, nieces, and nephews, and better brothers and sisters to each and every one of us here. Lord, we long for you to come, and we know you're not ignorant to our pain, but until that time comes, let us continue to share the joy, the hope, 
the praise we have in you. We love you and we say this in Jesus' name. Amen.